Thank you, Tevin Coleman. Saved my bacon! Oh, I was down in many matchups going into Monday night, and Tevin Coleman came to the rescue. Three touchdowns! Woo! Exciting, right? We should be so excited. Tevin Coleman scored three times. It's so on. That's the big explosive week we've been waiting for from Tevin Coleman. It's so on. Tevin Coleman is happening, right? 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 Not so fast. Playerprofiler.com has expanded its game analyst program. We went from five analysts to 25 analysts, and we now chart a lot more information, and a lot of new metrics are on the way from the Roto Underworld team. So look out for that. One of our new running back metrics is breakaway runs, yards after contact. And when you look at all the advanced metrics from last night's running back performances... Even though Devontae Freeman scored only a handful more fantasy points than Tevin Coleman, Devontae Freeman was the one dominating. It wasn't Tevin Coleman. Devontae Freeman, eight evaded tackles. Tevin Coleman, one. Devontae Freeman, 84 yards after contact. Tevin Coleman, 13. When you look past the touchdowns, you start to examine the advanced metrics on the running back performances last night. You saw Mark Ingram was elusive, efficient, and productive. Devontae Freeman, elusive, efficient, and productive. Tevin Coleman was only productive. And he helped us. He helped us win a week. The difference between being 3-0 and and 2-1, and or 2-1 and instead of 1-2, and Tevin Coleman significantly increased your chances of making the playoffs. That happened. But it was not because of his on-field performance. It was because he happened to score touchdowns in the red zone. The performances by Devontae Freeman and Mark Ingram last night were much more impressive. So if you decided today to package Tevin Coleman with a productive wide receiver in order to upgrade to an elite receiver, I wouldn't hold that decision against you. So now is a time of celebration. Tevin Coleman helped us win matchups, and now he can help us upgrade the talent on our roster. Thank you, Tevin Coleman. You have played your part this season. If we get no more fantasy points from you, you have already outproduced your ADP. But some people didn't win their fantasy football league week three matchup, and they're mad at me. You started, Tevin Coleman. Must be nice. Your ranking said I should be starting Spencer Ware. Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) All right. You told me to start Tajay Sharp, and I should have started Emmanuel Sanders. Okay. Run your own damn fantasy team. My rankings are a reference. They happen to outperform most ranking services, but you don't have to pay attention to them. And I'm not sure how the subscribers to playerprofiler.com and the listeners in this audience don't know that even the best weekly rankings miss individual players by 30 and 40 slots every week. There are players that come out of nowhere and have great weeks that everyone was down on and yet still shocked the world. That's why football is such a compelling sport because we have no idea what's going to happen. We can forecast what's going to happen with a wide margin for error, but no one knows exactly what's going to happen. Of course, your expectations of the weekly rankings on playerprofiler.com are high, understandably. They're driven by advanced metrics and sophisticated processes behind the scenes. I love that your expectations are high, but many of you have crazy expectations. Because before week three, we were getting pre-criticized for having T.Y. Hilton too high. Yeah, too high. Because T.Y. Hilton was scheduled to be shadowed by Jason Verrett. Remember? Remember? And we said, well, it doesn't really matter because if Andrew Luck and his accuracy decide to hone in on T.Y. Hilton because Dante Moncrief's not playing, then there's no way in hell that Jason Verrett is going to defend every pass. He can't. It's impossible. That's intuitive. Remember last year when when so many fantasy gamers benched Julio Jones because he was facing Josh Norman and then Julio Jones posted 178 yards and a touchdown against Josh Norman. Because if you know a wide receiver is going to get double-digit targets, you must start him. That's why T.Y. Hilton was a must-start last week, and Julio Jones was a must-start against Josh Norman last year. And Odell Beckham Jr. was a must-start against Josh Norman this year. 
What did Odell Beckham Jr. do this week? Over 20 fantasy points against one of the league's best corners because that's what the elite wide receiver target hogs do. When you're projecting the wide receiver position, the wide receiver's talent profile is more heavily weighted than the running back's talent profile. So we can all agree Odell Beckham Jr. and Julio Jones are matchup proof. Jordan Howard is not matchup proof, but he's still going to be a must start if he's going to be a bell cow back in Chicago. I once said, fuck Jordan Howard on these airwaves. That's because I was not impressed with the Jordan Howard prospect profile. But now Jordan Howard is the entrenched number one running back on the Chicago Bears for the next four to six weeks, as long as Jeremy Lankford is out. And after Jeremy Lankford went down, Jordan Howard not only absorbed all the carries, he also was targeted six times in the passing game and caught four of them. That's a big deal. We talked about this after week one with Tevin Coleman. It's a big deal if Tevin Coleman is going to be catching passes this year. It's a big deal for Jordan Howard if he's going to be more than just a between-the-tackles grinder for the Chicago Bears. If he's going to be active in all phases, he's a must-add. If you've been sitting on your number one waiver claim, you need to use it this week on Jordan Howard. There aren't that many surefire workhorse backs that will be carrying the load for four to six weeks that come along in fantasy football. There's less than 10 that emerge on the waiver wire every year, so when one does emerge, you have to take action and target that player, regardless of his talent profile. Jordan Howard will be getting carries in all game situations, and they'll be throwing the ball to him out of the backfield, so you have to roster him. I've been holding back my free agent auction budget money for a player like Jordan Howard. Now is the week I'm going to use it, spending 40% of my budget on Howard. Even though I wasn't touting him in the preseason, it doesn't matter. You cannot be held hostage to your preseason fantasy takes. So many fantasy analysts are issuing words of caution. The Bears have one of the worst run-blocking offensive lines. That's true. The Bears have one of the least efficient offenses. That's true. The Bears have one of the worst quarterback situations. That's true. Most of the external forces are working against Jordan Howard scoring fantasy points. He's going to have to do a lot on his own, but he's only 21 years old. He weighs 230 pounds. And running a 4.57, that's a 105.5, 76th percentile speed score. So he's relatively big, relatively fast, relatively young. There are positive traits on the Jordan Howard profile. And at the running back position, you need to chase the touches. We're going to have Pat Mayo from the Fantasy Sports Network on the show today. He's the host of the Pat Mayo Hour. Go to YouTube, search for the Pat Mayo Hour, and watch the whole show. It's fantastic. We're going to talk to him about talent versus opportunity, particularly in a redraft context. You hear a lot of people talk about talent in a redraft context when it's the opportunity you should be chasing. I'm not excited about Jordan Howard and Dynasty. I'm not. The Dynasty context is a completely different conversation. There, I'm chasing the talent profiles. I want Tevin Coleman. I want Duke Johnson. I want Derrick Henry in the Dynasty context. In a redraft context, I'm not interested in Derrick Henry. I'm much more interested in Jordan Howard. But Jordan Howard will not be an RB1 on our rankings. And if he posts an RB1 week in week four, I'm telling you I'm sorry in advance that I'm not Matt Nostradamus. I'm just Matt Kelly. There's no way to justify putting Jordan Howard in your top 12 because the Chicago Bears run game is very similar to the Miami Dolphins run game. A subpar offensive line, a subpar defense, subpar quarterback play. Miami Dolphins running backs and Chicago Bears running backs are rarely put in situations that they can win on the football field. So whether it's Kenyon Drake or Jordan Howard, they'll be threatening fantasy RB2 status with catches out of the backfield and the hope of a long touchdown run. This is different than Kristen Michael. I love how many people on the Roto Underworld YouTube channel go to YouTube, search Roto Underworld Radio, are badgering me right now about Jordan Howard and Kristen Michael. I should have offered more balanced analysis of Jordan Howard. That's true. But not Kristen Michael. Get out of here with your ex post facto Kristen Michael told you so commentary on YouTube. 
Oh, he had a big game? Great. It's about time. It's only been eight years. And what about all you Thomas Rawls enthusiasts? Because most of you have Seahawks avatars. So you're in the tank for the Seahawks. I get it. Fine. That's fine. But you were really mad about my Thomas Rawls analysis over the summer. Where are those mea culpas? I haven't read one. You need to issue an apology for calling me names after I said Thomas Rawls was overrated before you're allowed to criticize my Kristen Michael sports opinion. But you all won't do that because you don't understand what's happening. You don't understand the small sample phenomenon. And with Kristen Michael, you're going to fall for the same trick you fell for with Thomas Rawls. I can already see it a mile away. You suckers fall for the same small sample size con every single time. That's why every day feels like Groundhog Day for me. We're going to ask Pat Mayo about that. What does he think of Kristen Michael? Pat Mayo and I are like kindred spirits. We don't have time for lukewarm mayonnaise takes. If you want strong opinions, you go to Pat Mayo, you go to Matt Kelly, or you go home. And if you happen to be on the homepage of playerprofiler.com, search for a player. And in the middle of the screen, you'll see play player X on no halftime. You need to be signing up for the no halftime app. Because maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you think Kristen Michael will roll up another 100 yards this week. Maybe. Maybe he will. It's possible. Sure. He's the starting running back for the Seattle Seahawks. One of the league's most efficient offenses. A very different situation from the one that Jordan Howard finds himself in. So if you're confident that Kristen Michael will exceed expectations again in week four, go to his page on playerprofiler.com and click play Kristen Michael on no halftime. That allows you to set up a side bet with any of your friends that also has the No Halftime app. So you and your friends should all go to playerprofiler.com, download the No Halftime app, and then start sending side bets to one another. If you didn't think your Sundays could get any more fun with the Red Zone channel and your fantasy football apps, now layer on top of that No Halftime side bet app. And it's amazing. Now, let's go talk to Pat Mayo. He is from the Fantasy Sports Network. He hosts the Pat Mayo Hour. Follow him on Twitter at the PME. Welcome to the Roto Underworld radio show. Pat Mayo, my man, Pat Mayo. He is the host of the Pat Mayo Hour on the Fantasy Sports Network. Pat Mayo, talk to me. I can speak in a deep voice as well. Well, you know, kind of deep. I'm kind of high pitchy, so it's tough for me to go that low. <laughs> you really got me. Already, this established, savvy, fantasy sports media persona has already broken me down. He knows that the intro of the show is deeper than the rest of the show. I can focus on getting my voice deep at the beginning, and then as we start talking, I start to get out of the deep radio voicey guy, and then I start to become more whiny and annoying, and so that's the way it's going to be the rest of the show, probably. Very observant. I was just on Roto World, and I read that Shane Vereen's going to be out for the year with the torn triceps. So this is a big piece of information. People want assets that are part of this giant, offensive machine the next man up the next healthy running back on the depth chart is orleans darkwa but rashad jennings says he's coming back next week i just made that up i didn't read that at all i just imagine that that's what rashad jennings is going to say in the next couple days how do you see this giants backfield shaking out between rashad jennings orleans darkwa and our man bobby rainey Oh, don't forget about uh, Paul Perkins. People love Paul Perkins. I mentioned Bobby Rainer. Like, Why isn't Paul Perkins? I don't know. It's going to be Rashad Jennings' backfield if he's healthy. Dark Wall will get spelled in, but it's even when Vereen was healthy, it was still Jennings playing You know, either half or slightly over half of the snaps and controlling most of the work on the ground, although Vereen was somehow getting a lot of goal line touches, which was somehow surprising. He's still top 10 in the league right now in rushes from inside the 10-yard line, and people don't think of Shane Vereen as a you know, big ground and pound guy. He barely ever gets rushes. It's all catches for him, but that's the way it was shaking down this year. So I would think that it's Jennings' job to have, if something happens to him, it becomes Darqua. And I am with you. I, I think that Bobby Rainey, having that experience in Tampa in the third down role as a pass catching back, I wouldn't say he becomes the new Vereen, but he might play that role, which does carry 
I wouldn't say significant value in PPR leagues, but it does carry some value. Like if you play in a 14 team league, I have Traveris Cadet on a team. Like they're about even and it's someone you can make that switch for. It's a safe six points to have on your bench in case you're really stuck. I love that parallel. Bobby Rainey, Travaris Cadet is a terrific parallel. Shane Vereen last season, 3.8 carries per game. He wasn't getting carries last year either. Last year, the lion's share of the work was going to Rashad Jennings. There's really no reason to think that a healthy Rashad Jennings isn't going to be a workhorse back. My only question is, how healthy is the hand? I always say I'm not a doctor. Pat Mayo, we're not doctors, even though there's a Mayo Clinic. I'm a doctor. I left my medical career behind to do the lucrative business of fantasy. All right. All right. There is a Mayo Clinic, though, right? There's no Kelly Clinic where you go for the best possible treatment. There is a Mayo Clinic. So if there's a tiebreaker or who knows more about how these players' injuries will affect their performance, I will see to Pat Mayo here. But that's the question. Can he catch the ball out of the backfield? Can Rashad Jennings pass block with torn ligaments in his hand? I don't know. And so for that reason, I'm going to stash Orleans Darkwa because Orleans Darkwa does have a bell cow profile. He doesn't look like a guy who is an RB1 in fantasy. No, but he looks like a player who can play between the tackles, can be effective out of the backfield. He's done it all throughout his career going all the way back to Tulane. He has those upper percentile workout metrics, 70th percentile, 40 time, 125.8, 83rd percentile burst score. His best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Charles Sims. So if you want to stash someone who will be the next man up if Rashad Jennings can't go, whether it's the thumb injury or another injury that befalls him because it's the running back position and there are a lot of injuries befalling a lot of running backs, Orleans Darkwa becomes an interesting player with above-average measurables across the board on an above-average offense. So if there's a guy to stash because Rashad Jennings is owned everywhere, I think it's Orleans Darkwa. It's not going to be Bobby Rainey. It's not going to be Paul Perkins. But if I'm making that decision between Bobby Rainey and Paul Perkins, you go with the experienced guy. Bobby Rainey helped us win matchups in the last few years. I remember the players that helped me in the past, like Victor Cruz and Dennis Pitta, and I'm not ready to just cast them aside and pretend they don't exist just because they were hurt or just because they got cut. Bobby Rainey helped me once upon a time, and that's enough for me to put him ahead of Paul Perkins. Yeah, yeah, for me to man, who didn't have Bobby Rainey on their team at some point over the course of the last three years? Liddell Betts is still my guy from like eight years ago, just his final week 15, week 16. I think he scored like four total touchdowns. Even Tim Hightower last year. Like, I I, I owe that guy forever a lot of money. He won me like every league last year. It was perfect. He was the guy to pick up at the right time, and he was the one who led everyone to championships. Uh, I'm with you on Darkwa being the guy who would be the next man up. I'm just looking at my waiver wire rankings from this week. So at running back, I got like Jordan Howard at number one, Dwayne Washington at number two. I would prefer if I'm going to stash one and wait for someone to take the role, I still prefer Kenneth Dixon over Orleans Darkwa, only because he doesn't really need anyone to get hurt to get this role in Baltimore. He just needs to get healthy because Forsett and Terrence West aren't doing anything. So I feel like he'll get at least a crack to get the job without any injuries happening. He just needs to get himself right. I expect like week five, week six for him. And then it would be Darkwa and like Asiata, that type of that type of range. Right. Bobby Rainey also has a 1074, 98th percentile agility score. And the one workout metric that correlates well with pass catching prowess, the running backs who are electric in space have one thing in common oftentimes, and that's an upper percentile agility score. That's what Bobby Rainey has, even though he was a workhorse once upon a time for Tampa Bay and put up crazy numbers whenever he faced Atlanta. In the passing game, he is interesting. Won't be quite Shane Vereen, but I think he has the potential to be one of these 10-point-per-game guys later on this season. Think about Bilal Powell. You mentioned Tim Hightower. The number of championship fantasy teams that I fielded last year that featured Bilal Powell and Tim Hightower at running back, that was the reason why I forever gave up the early round running back. Once I started winning championships with Bilal Powell and Tim Hightower, like that was it. Like I'm done with the early round running back. That's it. I'm done. Done. 
at that point. So that was the moment where I realized, okay, we can do this with anybody. Kenneth Dixon's a guy that you need to be stashing. If you haven't stashed him already, please stash him. He's like CJ Procise in that he hasn't played yet this year, has this requisite size to be an every down player, and he has the great passing game ability. So those are the guys you want to stash. A lot of your league mates don't even know who these guys are. I've never heard of him. He's never played before. Who's Kenneth Dixon? Oh, well, I don't know. Kenneth Dixon was one of the top three all-around running backs in this last draft class, and now is the time to get him because Terrence West and Justin Forsett look bad, Pat. Are those guys starting caliber running backs in the NFL? No, right? I mean, I like Forsett, but I think that's more of a fantasy thing than a real-life thing because, I mean, he gets enough work out of the backfield in terms of catching the ball that, yeah, he's going to be fine. He had six catches for 12 yards yesterday. So, I mean, that's, that is fantasy viable when you're getting seven targets a game. But just on the ground, that if that team had a running back that they could give the ball to even 15 times a game to maybe get them a third and three every now and then, like their offense would be so much better. It was so frustrating watching them yesterday against Jacksonville because there was one point Flacco completed 11 straight passes, and they may have got, you know, seven points off of it. That's it. Like, when you're sustaining drives like that, Every time that you run the ball, it's like a net negative. Now you're putting yourself in spots where it's second and 11 or you know, second and nine, and you're forced to pass every time. It would just, even if you could run play action off someone like Kenneth Dixon, it just opens up Mike Wallace to be better. So they have to give him a shot, and I really think they will. They should, they will. I try to step away from these coaching narratives. I'm hearing now that... Jim Schwartz is the reason why the Philadelphia Eagles defense is playing so well. Jim Schwartz is the reason? What are you talking about? The players are the reason. But in certain cases, there's enough data going back through time where you can draw some conclusions about the types of plays that certain coaches like to run and where they like to emphasize the ball getting distributed to. And in the case of Mark Trestman, we have 10 years of data that says his running backs catch an inordinate number of passes out of the backfield. Yesterday, you had Justin Forsett with seven targets. Terrence West was targeted. Kyle Juszczyk was targeted. It's nine targets to the running backs last week in a game in which Flacco threw 40 times. So you're looking at almost 25% of the targets going to running backs. Now make it Kenneth Dixon. And if there's a YouTube highlight clip, I mean, the YouTube highlight clips are the most misleading pieces of information on fantasy football players on the internet service. Like, do not go and look at a player's highlight clips on YouTube because you'll automatically think he's amazing. He looks so great. Of course, if you split and splice a guy to little bits and bites of highlights, he's going to look amazing. Oh, he was stopped for a one-yard loss. Let's not put that in the highlight. Thanks. But with Kenneth Dixon, when you look at his highlights from Louisiana Tech and you see the way he's catching the ball 30 yards downfield, fully stretched out for a touchdown, wheel routes, and all the highest degree of difficulty catches that NFL running backs are asked to convert, he was converting a lot of them at Louisiana Tech. So I agree with Pat Mayo here. While everyone else is bidding up the next guy on waivers, Jordan Howard and Orleans Darkwa, you can just bid a dollar on Kenneth Dixon and stash a guy who in week seven or eight is going to be scoring more points. We're pretty sure that if Kenneth Dixon's healthy, he's going to be productive in week seven and eight into the fantasy playoffs. And so tonight we're treated to the New Orleans Saints. We know that Willie Sneed is not scheduled to play. And if Willie Sneed's not going to play... I think Fleener has a great game. It's not that he's not seeing the targets. He is. He's just not opening, can't catch. But against Atlanta, they've already given up three touchdowns at tight ends. If there's a week where Kobe Fleener has to prove it to you, if he does nothing here, cut his ass. Sports analysts love to create the make-or-break week, even if it's not actually a make-or-break week. Must-win game. It's not really a must-win game. But in this case... This is a must-produce game in fantasy football for Kobe Fleener because Willie Sneed's not there. And this is a relatively good matchup for a tight end. So if you can't win in a situation where the number two wide receiver is out and you have a good matchup, 
and you've already underperformed in weeks one and two, then yes, feel free to cut Kobe Fleener and move on to another tight end who's going to be more productive. The case for Kobe Fleener before the season, a lot of analysts putting him in the top five, it was always based on volume. This idea that Drew Brees loves to use the tight end. Not exactly. He likes to use the tight end when the tight end is one of the most talented receivers in his read progression. But Kobe Fleener isn't exactly that, especially when Willie Sneed is on the field. But if Willie Sneed's not on the field, then by process of elimination, you have to think that Kobe Fleener is going to be used this week. Did you fall for Kobe Fleener before the season? No, I actually have a big thing on these like upstart tight ends that people talk about every year. I don't like the mid-range guys. I, I mean, to say that, I think I had him like eight or nine at tight end in my rankings because who knows what tight ends? He was in everyone's top 10, but a lot of people had him leaking into the top five. And the the whole reason to avoid these types of guys is the problem that we're seeing right now is we have such a bad gauge of who's going to be good at tight end every single season. So outside of your like three or four guys that, you know, Gronk, Reed, Olsen, and even Delaney Walker. I mean, he's hurt, so it's hard to tell, but he got his volume week two, didn't get it week one. They're very inconsistent players at this position. So when you see someone like Kobe Fleener, who's really done nothing his entire career, put into a good situation, yeah, I like that situation. But the draft capital it costs to get these guys, sixth round, end of the fifth round, it's just not worth it. I mean, even if they're good, they're going to return that value. So you're already overpaying, and you're paying for all the upside with zero of the downside built in. And as we've seen so far through the first three weeks, as we see every year, through the first three, four weeks of the season, tight ends emerge that, you know, you can go pick up Cameron Brake today, and he's probably going to be better than Kobe Fleener this season. No one drafted Dennis Pitta, so everyone could have had Dennis Pitta on the waiver wire earlier in this year. Last week, it was Jacob Tammy. This week, it's Cameron Brake. Every week, there's another tight end du jour available on waivers, which, again, is another reason not to invest heavily in the tight end position. The tight end is this amazing combination of a low upside position with a lot of downside hmm let's see not a lot of upside lots of downside yeah let me use a first round pick on rob gronkowski that sounds like a great idea (laughs) when he was the best it was a good idea but he's not the best anymore he's he's not as far above the other guys so like reed was the pick this year actually olsen's turning out to be the better value i guess I guess. I didn't pick any of these guys early. I was concerned that I wasn't going to bid enough on Pitta after week one, but there was still this cognitive dissonance around Dennis Pitta and how it's just impossible that you could come back from a second hip surgery. I'm a doctor. My orthopedist said he's never seen anything like it, so it can't possibly happen. And then it does. And then it does, because no one's had that particular injury before. And the reason why he re-injured it is because he tried to come back too soon. How many professional athletes try to come back too soon and re-injure themselves because they love the game? That happens a lot. So when a guy gets re-injured, maybe just wait and see if the team cuts him. And if the team decides not to cut him, maybe continue to have hope that he can come back to what he once was, because that's what Dennis Pitta has done. That's what Victor Cruz has done. And what we saw last weekend is that's what Jimmy Graham has done, because these tired medical narratives where you guys take one or two cases of Mikel LaShore's Achilles or Ryan Williams' patellar tendon and try to extrapolate it out to no one can come back from those injuries when mediocre players couldn't come back to full health and be productive after those injuries is and was one of the maddening things about sports fans and sports analysis heading into this season. And I'm so happy to see Victor Cruz and Jimmy Graham and Dennis Pitta succeed in the face of all of these fraudulent wannabe doctors. I was that guy with Jimmy Graham. I did not see him doing, especially this quickly this season. I didn't think he'd be back to full health. I just didn't. Well, but you are a doctor, though. That's true. My actual medical expertise did lead me to believe this, but sometimes you're wrong. (laughs) It was a misdiagnosis. I'm sorry. I got good insurance, so I wouldn't worry about it. You lost your leg. I'm sorry. I just, I thought it was something else. I didn't know that it was a flesh-eating bacteria. My bad. (laughs) So this weekend, we had a Kristen Michael sighting again, and this time was 
pretty dominant. Kristen Michael has officially landed, and I think he's Wally pipped Thomas Rawls. Would you agree? Well, Thomas Rawls is going to be out for, what, four to six weeks now with this injury? I actually wrote this question before I found out that Thomas Rawls was out for an extended period of time, so this question doesn't really make sense anymore. But no, the answer is no. I don't think he has, because there's a good chance that Christine Michael sucks. Whoa, okay. Please continue. Well, I mean, so the sample size we have of Michael over the course of his career is what? 20 bad games and one good one? Well, we have four years at Texas A&M where he could not usurp the likes of Cyrus Gray. Ooh, Cyrus Gray. And then we have four years in Seattle where he couldn't supplant Robert Turbin as the backup running back to Marshawn Lynch. Then we had last year where he bounced around the league and kept getting cut in places that needed running backs like Dallas and Washington before he ended up back where it all started in Seattle. And then in Seattle, all the running backs were injured around him, CJ Proceis and Thomas Rawls specifically, which allowed him to ascend the depth chart essentially unchallenged with the exception of Alex Collins. So it's between him and Alex Collins and they went with the experienced guy. The question is, how good is Kristen Michael? And we're not going to know because no one could figure out if Thomas Rawls was good last year in a relatively small sample. Three or four games started. He looked great last year against good defenses like the Cincinnati Bengals, but it was still a small sample. And we have a small sample size dilemma that continues with Thomas Rawls until he has a full season of NFL production on his resume. And I think we still have the same problem with Kristen Michael. He just has a lot more years of sucking which is why you're cautious. Yeah, well, the early reports that I've seen, just people exploding my Twitter feed with, oh, Rawls out four weeks, Christine Michael, top 10 running back in that time. Oh, this is what I'm, th- here's the thing. I think that, you know, if he's going to be the starter, yes, you, you have to play him. There are so few running backs monopolizing backfields like he's going to do in Seattle without Rawls around. Like, that's not the issue here. He's going to have the volume. When TJ Yeldon was playing without Chris Ivory, you were playing TJ Yeldon because these are the opportunities you're looking for. However, if people really think he's going to be a top 10 guy and that when Rawls comes back, Rawls probably won't get his job back, sell Christine Michael to these people and get, I don't know, Allen Robinson back in return. The fact that you can get an Allen Robinson quality player with Kristen Michael, with the asset that is Kristen Michael, to me, is beautiful. It's just beautiful. It's just fantasy football. Like That, to me, crystallizes fantasy football and fantasy football players who want to drop everyone that underperforms through the first two or three weeks and are willing to pay an iron price for a guy that just scored two touchdowns. Another guy that exceeded 20 points last week, Charles Sims. No chance he's Wally Pipp Doug Martin, right? I don't think so. I think that he has a very clear role on that team. And he was okay between the tackles, a lot better than I thought he would be on the ground. But he is a pass-catching specialist. And maybe he can learn how to be a bit more fierce near the goal line. It took him three three tries to get the one yard on the Rams. He did eventually get in, which is nice. And not something we saw a whole lot from Doug Martin. But... I think they want to run Doug Martin into the ground. This team plays a lot better offensively when Jameis is not throwing the ball 58 times in a game. So having Doug Martin and the sprinkle of Charles Sims, like even when we saw last year, the splits between them in terms of snap count was like 60-40. Sims was on the field a lot. It's just when they were passing. Maybe now he can pick up, let's say, five to eight carries a game, along with all the work he does in the passing game. He was already a viable PPR play as like a flex guy if you needed him. He could be an okay running back too when Martin comes back. It's just Martin's upside is capped because of Sims, and it doesn't really work the other way around because Sims will always have the chance to usurp him as the starter and force Doug Martin to the bench. Well, I actually like Sims better. Well, this was why Sims was always the player to draft in redraft leagues this summer, not Doug Martin, because you were paying maximum price for what Doug Martin brings to the table, where you were only paying for the Charles Sims passing game work, and you got the between the tackles work in the event that Doug Martin either underperforms or gets injured, you were getting that for free with Charles Sims this year. That's why he was the play. With Charles Sims, I think what will happen when Doug Martin comes back is it will be a split down the middle where Doug Martin gets half of the snaps. Charles Sims receives half of the snaps. But I think that now that the team has finally seen Charles Sims succeed 4.2 yards per carry last week, 
They've seen him succeed in an every down between the tackles runner role. There was a big question mark. No one knew what Charles Sims would be as a between the tackles runner. A lot of people thought he was too stiff. I don't know what that means. That was the indictment of Charles Sims for years in Tampa Bay. When now we've seen he's adequate between the tackles. You can use him both as a running back that spells Doug Martin and heavily use him out of the backfield. So I think that there's a chance that even once Doug Martin comes back, he outscores Doug Martin more weeks than he doesn't. So I love going out and trading for Charles Sims if he is currently owned by someone who assumes he'll revert back to his previous role once Doug Martin returns. I'd wait until Doug Martin returns or the week that Doug Martin is going to return, and that way you'll get his cost at an all-time low. That's the other thing you could do is wait, and you can do this with a bunch of guys that are on their way back. Trading for D'Angelo and Spencer Ware right now, if like you're doing okay, is the move, because if anything happens to one of those guys, you inherit a top 10 running back. That's it. That's it. <laughs> this is another thing where it's like, this is what fantasy footballers do. At this very moment, fantasy footballers have come to the conclusion, oh, D'Angelo Williams, he's now worthless. <laughs> Yes, that was the exact moment you should be trying to acquire D'Angelo Williams. We're going to put that on the scroll. I wish we had a scroll on playerprofiler.com. Just put that on the scroll. Trade for D'Angelo Williams now. Not now. Now. Like, right now. Not not now. Now. Like, right now. Unfortunately, it just got a lot harder to trade for Emmanuel Sanders. I've been saying Emmanuel Sanders is a better player just in a vacuum. If I were starting a franchise today, I'd rather have Emmanuel Sanders than Demarius Thomas. Are you at that point after seeing what Emmanuel Sanders did last week? No, not really. Uh, I do like how they're using him, but I think that's because when you look at the game, all the best coverage goes towards Demarius Thomas. So it does allow for Emmanuel Sanders to have big games, but both of the touchdown catches, the deep throws, the one to Thomas was underthrown, the one to Sanders that he caught for a touchdown was underthrown. I don't think they're going to get that lucky every week that they've burned defenders by so much that they can stop adjust to the ball and still come away with completions i don't really believe in trevor simeon he should be all right next week against tampa yeah it's a decent matchup but i I wouldn't put a whole lot of faith in this guy when denver does what they want to do they're going to be running the ball and that just limits the overall opportunity for both these guys like i don't think either one of them is a top 20 fantasy receiver anymore but i heard on sirius xm this morning that we're all idiots for allowing Demarius Thomas to leak into the third and fourth round at redraft leagues. That's not true. Demarius Thomas is still a 1A, as Pat Mayo thinks, or 1B, as Matt Kelly thinks, wide receiver on a team with a bad quarterback and a great defense whose goal is to limit the number of offensive possessions whenever possible. So that's not a wide receiver you want to go out and target. Unfortunately, now is not the time to trade for Emmanuel Sanders or Demarius Thomas. You also mentioned something interesting. Charles Sims faces Denver next week. All the more reason to not necessarily go out and trade for Charles Sims and maybe his price craters after the Denver game, then that's the time to get him. A guy that continues to get targets and demand that you pay attention to him is Quincy Anunwa. 11 targets again yesterday. He's no longer a fluke getting 8.3 targets per game. That's two less than Brandon Marshall, four more than Decker. Is he the number two receiver in New York? <gasps> no. <laughs> he's, he's, the, he, he, he's their number one tight end. That's it. That's what he is. Concise response from Pat Mayo. I love it. If we're thinking about him as a tight end, but yet he's still classified as a wide receiver, it's conceivable that he's the most relevant number three wide receiver we've had in fantasy football who's not tethered to a top quarterback. I mean, that's one of my cardinal rules is that you stay away from the auxiliary receivers tethered to bad quarterbacks. But in the case of Quincy Anunwa, we might have an exception. Yeah, I guess so. But like, what about someone like Adam Humphreys right now in Tampa? I would prefer to own Adam Humphreys over owning Vincent Jackson. And he's probably the three. Well, Vincent Jackson's the two. 
Well, that's the question, is at what point do we adjust these arbitrary numeric designations that we give these wide receivers? Because Adam Humphreys, to me, looks like the number two receiver. I didn't want the whole show sheet to be, hey, is this guy the new number two, Pat Mayo? Hey, is this guy the new number two? Hey, what about this guy? What about this guy? Is he number two or one? Is he three or four? Where are these guys, Pat Mayo? I didn't want the whole show to be about when are we going to think of Adam Humphreys as the number two receiver, but Pat Mayo. When can we start to think of Adam Humphreys as the number two receiver? Uh, I think, especially when you go look at the waiver wire this week, a lot of the names I have listed in my column, the qualification is that they're owned in less than 60% of ESPN leagues, which means they're probably owned in your league if you're listening to this. Adam Humphreys is not owned basically anywhere. He's essentially mini Cole Beasley in terms of what he can put up for you. But eventually Romo is going to come back and probably replace Dak and he won't just rely on Beasley over and over. Beasley will have his games, but not consistently every week. But the way this target share is going in Tampa Bay, Jameis likes throwing to hump daddy. So it's an easy (laughs) throw for him. He's over the middle. He has a bit of speed after the catch, too. He can turn some stuff up. Like when you look at guys like Jameis and Crowder, Cole Beasley, uh, I don't think that Jameis is necessarily elite. And you know what? It could end up Vincent Jackson ends up with more targets, but the production, what you need in fantasy, those little short receptions, maybe like eight for 80, those type of games, those are going to come from Adam Humphreys. He's going to score a touchdown and do the Humpty dance. I hope so. I mean, that would be, if he did that, if he did that, if Adam Humphreys did the Humpty dance on a t- I just, my, that would be, wow. Like, I don't, I would be speechless. I'm already speechless thinking about it. I would continue to be speechless if he did that. He's the guy you need to go get on the waiver wire. Enough chasing the athletic specimen who flashes once or twice. The guy that's going to get the targets tethered to a high-volume quarterback. That's Adam Humphreys. Even if he is technically the number three receiver, that's okay because we know Jameis Winston is a great quarterback and he's going to throw a lot this year. So that's a number three receiver you can justify rostering. You can't roster Braxton Miller. He's not even active half the time. Let me do it again. I'll do it again. I'll do a retake. You shouldn't be rostering Terrence Williams. Wait, no. You said Romo's coming back. Let me try that again. Let me try Cut. Oh, I know who it is. You shouldn't be rostering Benny Fowler. How about that? Was that good? Yeah, it's not bad. Speaking of Trevor Simeon, is he at least better than Brock Osweiler? Yeah, I I mean, I don't know if he's better, but I think Denver made the right move letting Osweiler walk. But I think people knew that at the time. Like, watching Osweiler play last year, the book was kind of out on him. He's either going to take a sack because of his giant seven-step drops, or he's going to lock (laughs) into one guy, stare him down, and if the defense sees it, they can just jump that route. And when they're playing a good defense, he's going to get beat up all the time. When they play a bad defense, he has two pretty good receivers, so he's going to take advantage of that. We talked about Brock Osweiler a lot in the offseason. One of the reasons why we weren't super excited about Will Fuller because he was the number two option tethered to a bad quarterback. We were pretty sure that Brock Osweiler is a bad quarterback because his 70.2 college QBR at Arizona State, 40th percentile, his yards per attempt below eight. That's a red flag at Arizona State. And then the negative 15.3 production premium on playerprofiler.com. That's that situation agnostic efficiency metric. What does that mean? Meaning if you measure what he produced on any given down and distance and then compare that production on a down and distance basis to every other quarterback in the league and then discount garbage time and discount hurry up offense so essentially putting him in league average situations against every other quarterback in the league and then stack ranking him negative 15.3 put him at number 30 in the nfl in terms of situation agnostic efficiency okay i just i mean he hated god or something (laughs) oh you you were asking what the word situation agnostic (laughs) shit I gave it the whole terms glossary definition. It wasn't even your question. Love it. Well, that's what that metric is, though. I, I get putting people into a league average situation to base them on skill, but we know that that's not going to be the case for a lot of quarterbacks because each quarterback now, especially 
whether, you know, what if they were playing for Chip Kelly? They're never going to be in that situation. So you, what would that metric do for that type of player? If you're going to play a hurry-up offense, a lot of the time, like Tampa's doing right now, I mean, how would that even apply to, like, someone like Jameis? Like, he's not thrust into that situation. Would that I, – I, I just don't understand how this metric works. That's why you don't want to use a metric like that to necessarily make in-season fantasy football decisions because even the inefficient players, like we talked about with running backs like TJ Yeldon, hugely inefficient. One of the more negative production premiums we have in the database for 2016 running backs because on any given down and distance, he receives a pass out of the backfield and then he goes 1.5 yards. And so if you think about him compared to all other running backs catching passes out of the backfield, his efficiency on a per play basis against league average is going to look horrendous. But if he's getting all the opportunities, he's going to score fantasy points in the face of inefficiency. The reason why we have metrics like production premium is when players switch teams, you can then visualize what their efficiency is like, and then you can place them on their new team. And imagine in that situation with the number number of plays that that offense projects to call with the pass to run ratios that that offense projects to have once you have the situation agnostic efficiency you can plug that player into the situation formula for that team and then you can have a good picture of what Brock Osweiler is capable of on the Texans. So if you put a hugely efficient quarterback on the Texans with Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins, he's going to fucking go bananas. Okay? He's going to be incredible, Pat Mayo. But if you put a bad quarterback on that team, he's going to get carried by those wide receivers in some games. And then in other games, he's going to look like he looked in week three. Nerd. <laughs> You might want to try fantasy baseball. It sounds right up your alley. I love it. I love it. That was the best. That was the best burn of show history. Mark that for the highlights. I think it makes a lot of sense, though. Now that you've explained it to me and I quite somewhat understand it, it does make a lot of sense when it comes to evaluation. But I've said this a million times, and I don't know who threw this out there, that people have it in their minds that in fantasy football, talent trumps opportunity. And that's just simply not the case. Yeah, whoever said that needs to be yanked off the air immediately with a vaudevillian cane. I don't know who does, but people like tweet it at me all the time. They're like, oh, but this guy isn't as talented as the other guys. Yeah, well, the other guy's playing, so you might want to play him. <laughs> that doesn't make any well, Randall Cobb's really challenging that premise. This past weekend, I had to pick Flame out. We were touting and touting Philip Dorsett. The thesis was that Jason Verrett would be shadowing T.Y. Hilton, and therefore you play Philip Dorsett because he will get a lot of the siphon volume. That didn't happen. So my pick of the week exploded in my hand. You can be so right about so many things, but if your pick of the week explodes in your hand, you end up having a bad weekend. Would you agree that happens to prognosticators like you and me? Do you have that problem? Well, yeah, I'd say that's my biggest problem is that I never make right calls. So your situation just happens to me every week times 100. But also, we have the, the psychological affliction that the one bad call is what consumes us instead of all the things that are going right. I, I don't care at this point anymore. Just it, it was my process right. I don't expect to be right 100% of the time. Like I hyped up Taja Sharp this week. He was terrible. He had like 50 yards or something like that. Like to do it all over again when I look at the team that he's playing versus the expected game flow versus the target share. It all made a lot of sense. Just didn't work out. Thanks a lot for telling me to start Taja Sharp over Emmanuel Sanders. Idiot. I did that in the league. <laughs> of course you did it. He was going against the Oakland Raiders. He's the number one receiver. Yes, the number one receiver. Arbitrary designation, but he was still getting more targets than Rashard Matthews facing the Oakland Raiders. How did he not outscore Emmanuel Sanders this week? I don't know, but we don't predict the exact outcomes of football games because if we could, we wouldn't have fantasy football shows. We could just move to Las Vegas and become millionaires. It'd be that easy. We wouldn't be talking right now. I wouldn't even have to move to Vegas. I could just do it from my computer here. God bless Canada. 
I mean, I always say this is a free country, it's the United States, and I can not put a player on playerprofiler.com. Like, there were so many people asking us, where's Jimmy Clausen on playerprofiler.com? He's an active quarterback. And I said, we're not putting Jimmy Clausen in the database. We're not creating a page for him. We have a page for every player that's ever been on a practice squad the last five years, except Jimmy Clausen. It's not going to happen. Every time you type in that name, you're going to get... He's terrible. No results. Because... I can do that. You live in Canada. It's also a free country. I don't know how free. It's pretty free, I'm sure. We live in free countries. We can do this because we're the bosses of our media empires. So now we're closing in on week five. One more week to go. Week five. What does that mean? That means relatively healthy Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady will be playing for a Patriots team that is 3-0 and completely obliterating its competition with Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett. What are your expectations for a Brady-led Patriots offense? I think they're going to lose to the Browns. It would just make the most sense in the world. Everyone's going to bet the Patriots. They've lost. It's a revenge Cleveland game against Belichick. I think the last time they played in Cleveland, Cleveland was like a seven-point underdog and waxed them. Uh, I mean, I don't really think that's going to happen. But the one thing I'll say about the Patriots and their entire offense as it relates to fantasy, go get Chris Hogan and put him on your team. He is going to be awesome when Brady comes back. That's not in the show sheet. I was going to say that. That's not in the show sheet. Tell him, Pat, tell them that that's not on the show sheet. I didn't share that sentiment with you. Tell them. It's on the sheet. I can see it right now. It's not on the show sheet. Pat, take it back. It's not on there. God damn. I knew you were going to do that. Trust me, audience. It's not on the show. He's not. He's not telling the truth. That's not true. Jordan Howard is on the show sheet because Jordan Howard did something last night that shocked me in a good way. He caught a bunch of passes. It was similar to my reaction to seeing Tevin Coleman catch six passes in week one. Hey, he caught a bunch of passes until he didn't. He had one just egregious drop. (laughs) It's Jordan Howard. He doesn't have an all-purpose bell cow profile, but I think he's going to be thrust into that situation because... Jeremy Lankford looks like he's going to miss some time with an Achilles injury. We've been talking about opportunity trumping all at the running back position in particular. What does that mean for Jordan Howard next week? Um, I, I mean, if I have the number one waiver priority in a league, I'm using it on Jordan Howard. I don't think there's anyone else even close to him to go pick up this week. If you don't, if I would say, I think I look, when I looked at his ownership percentage, it was like 15% on ESPN. Oh, I assume in NFL.com leagues, that means like he's owned in like negative 4% of leagues because that ownership makes absolutely no sense to me. Who are these people that play on NFL.com? Oh, no! Because I see these ownership percentages, too, and it's always the NFL.com with the super, like, crazy low percentage. Search player by name, Howard. What, what What's your guess on his ownership in NFL.com leagues? On NFL.com, it's probably 0.2. 1.4. Yes! It's what? Just Jeremy Langford handcuff people would have to have him over 5%. Ridiculous. Christine Michaels available in like 40% of leagues on NFL.com. Of course he is. <laughs> they haven't even picked up Brady yet. They're waiting for week five to pick up Brady. Well, I mean, it's only week four. You got to wait till week five. What <laughs> is going on with NFL.com fantasy? I, I, but I will say there are leagues that I play in as well that I went and picked them up last week just because. You know, Jerick McKinnon was already owned. All these guys were already owned. I was like, well, who's like the next guy up? Langford doesn't look very good. They started splitting snaps. So he's still available in some leagues. And if he is, I would use the number one waiver on him. People were asking me whether or not they should use their number one waiver claim on players that they really, really, really should not be using a number one waiver claim on. There hasn't been a player. You could argue Quincy Anunua based on what we know now. I don't even like the best of the receivers. Like I, if like him and Pryor are available in like a similar amount of leagues, because a lot of people drop Pryor. I think I'd rather just gamble on Pryor. My larger point was no players emerged over the first two weeks of the season that justified someone sitting on the number one waiver claim to use it. So hopefully if you had the number one waiver claim, you didn't get antsy in the pantsy and you held on to it because this week, now Jordan Howard is a player you 
absolutely want to burn whatever amount of waiver wire dollars you can spare, or if you have that number one waiver claim, put it on Jordan Howard or Terrell Pryor. <laughs> Terrell Pryor. I wouldn't use it on Pryor. I would use it on Howard. I would use it on Howard, but it would be hard not to use it on Terrell Pryor because, my God, my God, Pat, Pat, what is this guy? He's amazing. Whether you're on a fab budget system, whether you're on a waiver claim system, you need to aggressively target Jordan Howard and Terrell Pryor. Jordan Howard based on situation, Terrell Pryor based on talent. What do you think he does when uh, Gordon gets back? It's hard for me to envision a world in which Josh Gordon gets a bigger target share than Corey Coleman and Terrell Pryor. I don't see it. What are you talking about? Of course he is. He's Josh Gordon. I know he's Josh Gordon. And there was a time long, 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 long time ago in a galaxy far, far, far away. 2013 United States NFL football. You had Josh Gordon with a 1,600-yard season in one of the most fluky outlier seasons in the history of professional sports. And he hasn't been in the league since. Well, he was in the league for five games in 2014, and he was hugely inefficient in those games. Now, comes back from a suspension, and waiting for him are two players in which he's not as athletic as... Corey Coleman and Terrell Pryor are better athletes than Josh Gordon, and he hasn't been practicing. He hasn't been playing. Those guys are both better athletes and better football players at this point in their respective careers than Josh Gordon. I don't think we can know that for sure. And Corey Coleman's not even playing. He has a broken hand. I think Corey Coleman will be back sooner rather than later. I think Corey Coleman can be effective just catching the ball, stashing it very quickly, and then getting yards after the catch. My strident, confident sports opinion is that Josh Gordon will be the number three receiver on the Cleveland Browns when their top three guys are healthy. That's my strident sports opinion, which is not based on a lot because I have no fucking idea what Josh Gordon is anymore. Nor do I, but I would like to give him the benefit of the doubt for opportunity. There's a reason that if they didn't want him to come back and potentially be a number one, and he's the only one of this group that's shown he can be a number one. Like you said, that was 2013. That was ages ago. He could be decrepit at this point. We don't know. But if he wasn't going to be that guy for them, why wouldn't they just cut him? They're not trying to win. So why would you keep Josh Gordon on the roster if you're not trying to win? I think it was one of these sunk cost problems where they said, we have this talented guy. He's not being paid a lot. He's actually under contract for another year in 2017 because the way the collective bargaining agreement counts years of service vis-a-vis time suspended. So I'm thinking they want Josh Gordon to come back flash in 2016 so they can get something for him in the offseason i can see that i think that makes a lot of sense but it's going to be hard to get i mean hey it's football the trades rarely do happen and you're getting a year out of him uh, at you know at worst and then he becomes a restricted free agent i i just don't see it i think they're going to see what they have with him and if they do want to move forward you just keep him around when he's on the field with someone like terrell Pryor or Corey coleman He has to get open more often than they do. He has to be a featured receiver. The coaches who have to win to keep their jobs, he has to convince them to feature him in the game plan and not Corey Coleman, not Terrell Pryor. And from what I saw from Terrell Pryor last week, how could you possibly in your mind's eye, Pat, imagine Josh Gordon being a better receiver at this point than Terrell Pryor? He looked like the best receiver I've ever seen. Yeah, so let's maybe throw out the one-game outlier from Terrell Pryor. (laughs) That's totally fair! God, I just really wanted to celebrate Terrell Pryor. He looks so good. You can! Listen, enjoy your Terrell Pryor. I think he's going to be fine. Maybe he can be great. Maybe he's way better than Josh Gordon, but I don't think last week proved anything. I'm so disoriented on this show because I'm always the guy that's scolding the fantasy football analysts for making too much out of the small sample size performances. And I have a couple guys I'm trying to get excited about and they're extinguished. No, like small sample. No, like Josh Gordon's proven it. No one else has. And I'm sitting here going, 
it's right. I just, I just trying to give a hot take, and uh, you're checkmating me at every turn. This is a clinic. If we were playing chess, and I'm the upstart fantasy analyst wannabe chess master, you're that guy just stalking the aisles of chess boards, and you're just going check, 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 check. I can't move, Pat. I can't move. I can't get these hot takes out with you on the other side. So I'm like Bobby Fischer, except I'm not hiding out on a glacier in Iceland, getting away from everyone. Iceland is on par in terms of northernness with Canada, right? Man, your Americans' lack of geography is hilarious. <laughs> Put it this way. I, I, live, I live in Toronto, which is south of Detroit. <laughs> I love it. That's so true. We suck at geography. We're so bad at geography. I actually know where Iceland is. It's approximately 1,200 miles east of the southern tip of Greenland. I know exactly where it is. Don't worry. I made that up, but it sounded good. Couldn't say 1,000 miles. Had to go something like 1,200. What are, what, are, what are miles? Oh, there we go again. Here we go. You're going to hold the metric system over me now? I mean, the rest of the world is holding it over you as it makes sense and isn't just arbitrary numbers. <laughs> the wide receiver one, wide receiver two system needs to be replaced by some sort of wide receiver depth chart metric system at some point. We should invent it together, but you already have the fantasy take high ground. Now you're holding the metric system over me. I just have to get you out of here. I'm going to get you out of here on one question. The show's over. You can dish on Fahrenheit if you want. Hey, how, how, how warm is it? At? Oh, it's 32. It's freezing. What? Zero is freezing. Doesn't that make sense? If it's negative, it's freezing. If it's above negative, not so freezing. Not only are my geography skills much better than the average American, I am also in the minority among Americans in that I think we can't move to the metric system and the Celsius system fast enough. But a lot of these people that disagree with me are the same ones on the Roto Underworld Radio YouTube channel yelling at me all season for saying, don't draft Thomas Rawls. Now where are you people? Where are the apologies? Where are the new comments saying, thank you, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I don't see any of that. That's Americans right there. So no, I, I actually just want to look this up. So where I live is approximately 1,400 miles south of Iceland. That's, I Toronto that. is closer to Nicaragua than it is to Iceland. 1,400 miles, so the exact number of yards Terrell Pryor will accumulate this season. I think that's what he got last week. Yeah, was, that's how good he is, folks. That's I've never called the audience, folks. I'm rattled. Need to get you out of here. I'm so, I've never been this rattled. Sorry. Yes, you're not sorry. No, so I'm not. You're actually, you couldn't be less sorry. My truther crush... Scored a touchdown. Brian Quick. I can't believe it happened. I was so happy. I love Brian Quick, too. I tweeted it out. I got one like and no retweets. Everyone besides you and I has completely dismissed and forgotten about Brian Quick, and that's fine. That's fine. Other than Brian Quick, who is the player who has yet to ascend? He's getting older, but you still qualify for truther status on. Oh, Darrell Greenbeckham, not close. Every once in a while, you'll see whatever team, whether it was the Titans last year or the Eagles this year in the preseason, oh, here's a Darrell Green Beckham red zone package where we just throw jump balls at Darrell Green Beckham and he catches them all. And then you, just, then you don't see it for like 16 weeks. It's the weirdest thing. Watching him dominate at Missouri and then watching him dominate NFL corners last year in certain packages, in certain situations, the Philadelphia Eagles trade for him, but they won't play him over Nelson Aguilar. I mean, I'm not the biggest Doro Green Beckham fan, but I'd much rather see him out there than Nelson Aguilar. God. Yeah. Although Aguilar's been all right so far. I'd rather see him out there besides Josh Huff. How about that? They're playing Josh Huff over DGB. It seems that way, yeah. Just when you thought the Eagles had finally figured it out, they're playing Josh Huff over Doriel Green Beckham. Yeah.
They want to talk about the defense, but because nobody knows any of their names, they just default to the coach. It's the lazy sports analysis that makes me insane. And then it bleeds into fantasy because people are trained to think of coach first, player second. And that's how you get some really bad reverse engineered retrofit coach takes, which make no sense. Those predictions never come to fruition. I didn't want the whole show sheet to be, hey, is this guy the new number two, Pat Mayo? Hey, is this guy the new number two? Hey, what about this guy? What about this guy? Is he number two or one? Is he three or four? Where are these guys, Pat Mayo? I didn't want the whole show to be about when are we going to think of Adam Humphreys as the number two receiver, but Pat Mayo, when can we start to think of Adam Humphreys as the number two receiver? What what, what are miles? My God, Pat. Pat. What is this guy? He's amazing! Yeah, so let's maybe throw out the one-game outlier from Terrell Pryor. (laughs) That's totally fair! What are are, are miles? People think, oh, right, you're just talking about sports all day. It is exhausting to be in front of a camera and using your brain for two, three, four, five hours in a row. It's draining oh yeah people don't seem to understand how tiring it is now we just sound like the worst people in the world complaining about talking about fantasy football we see something that's sort of a rough cut and it's just pushed out there it's like come on guys can you try maybe just try for yourself not even for us the audience you why don't you try just for you maybe that our shows are relatively i wouldn't say similar but people that seem to like my show like your show and like your show like my show yeah i get it all the time you didn't get antsy in the pantsy, and I understand this is an information gasm. Let's go do this right now. Here you go. Boom! Information in your face, in your ear. Let's go. Download. Bzz, Pat Mayo. Bzz, and I'm going to hit you and hit you and hit you. And then you're after the show, you're going to be like, wow, I feel great. Like a deep tissue massage of information. What are, what are, what are miles? You shouldn't be rostering Benny Fowler. How about that? Was that good? Yeah, it's not bad. People enjoy sound effects for whatever reason. This show wasn't really designed to run your fantasy team for you. It's kind of an entertainment slash information show. It's not just unplug your brain and let us take over your fantasy team because there are plenty of services out there that do that. Watch this game be like the Saints game last week and just hit the massive under on the highest total of the week. But why do you do that? Why? We're trying to get excited. Why would you do that? I am excited. I'm tempering expectations. So for when it happens, I can actually get excited. I'm not big on getting excited before things happen. Oh, Mark. Yeah. Mark Ingram is one of those players that you either like or you don't like. Hate him. Because he just was so underwhelming for so many years. And you had hate him. dynasty owners that traded him because they just finally soured on him. Hate him. So there is a whole contingency of people out there that hate him. does not like Mark Ingram for a lot of different reasons. I don't even rank him in my rankings. That's not in the show sheet. I was going to say that. That's not in the show sheet. Tell them, Pat, tell them that that's not on the show sheet. I didn't share that sentiment with you. Tell them. It's on the sheet. I can see it right now. What are, what are, what are miles? Saved my bacon.